Tonight we're continuing our series in Beatitudes, and we're going to look at that fourth Beatitude called, uh, that where Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled or satisfied. One of my favorite movies came out in the 90s and uh, should have won a couple of Oscars. I'm still mad that it didn't. It stars Bill Murray, and it's called Groundhog Day. And uh, it is funny. You can laugh. Uh, it's a great movie. On the surface, it's a comedy. It's about this guy who um, is a weatherman and finds himself on Groundhog Day, early February, in the middle of western Pennsylvania, stuck in this little podunk, podunk town, Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania, in the middle of a blizzard. And because he's such a grouch, he ends up living the same day over and over and over again. And the point of the story is eventually for him to live the perfect day. Uh, and there's some really funny parts of that movie, but really it's actually quite a profound movie. Trust me, <laughs> it really is. Uh, because what's happening really in Groundhog Day is that Bill Murray is going through all of the major ways of looking at life. And he's, the story really is, is asking the question, what is it that's going to satisfy us? And so you see Bill Murray experience and experiment with hedonism where he lives for pleasure. You know, he eats 15 cupcakes at breakfast, right? Shoving them into his mouth, an entire cupcake at once. I've tried that, by the way. It does not work out well for me. Um, you see him experiencing nihilism, where basically you say life has no purpose, it doesn't matter, suicide is the only reasonable option. You see him experience all sorts of ways of living and trying out all different kinds of philosophies. And the story ultimately crescendos with the idea that living the perfect life is loving another person perfectly, is being in the perfect relationship, and he eventually finds that and is able to continue on his way a changed man. Now, Groundhog Day is a great movie. Whether or not they get the question right of what will satisfy us is, in my opinion, an open question. But it does bring up the question, what is it that will satisfy us? As we've been looking at these Beatitudes at the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, one of the most famous parts of the Bible, we've seen as he describes for us what it looks like to live life in the kingdom, what it looks like to follow Jesus. We've seen that oftentimes it looks very counterintuitive. It looks very different from the way that the world would think kingdom living is. It's a topsy-turvy, upside-down kingdom that Jesus is calling us to. It's a kingdom that does not meet the normal expectations of our human experience. And we've seen that in the pre previous Beatitudes. Jesus says things like, happy are those who are sad. He says things like, rich are those who mourn. <laughs> he says things like, those who are poor in spirit and recognize the abundance of their shared poverty. Those are the ones who will inherit my kingdom. And that topsy-turvy, counterintuitive message of the gospel of the kingdom continues tonight, where Jesus says, satisfied are the thirsty, and filled are the hungry. Blessed are you when you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for you will be satisfied. Now, what does that mean? I want to ask or go through three points, okay? Our longing, our problem, and our satisfaction. Our longing, our problem, and our satisfaction as we think about this passage together tonight. But the main idea that I want to communicate to you is simply this. Our hearts are made to long for God. Our hearts are made to long for God, and only in God can our longings be satisfied. Okay, so first, our longing. Jesus says here, blessed are those who, what? Hunger and thirst. 
And those two words in the original are words that connote to us a deep sense of hunger and a desperate sense of thirst. But Jesus is obviously speaking metaphorically here. He's referring to something about our spiritual selves that is true. He's really saying when he says, blessed are you when you hunger and thirst, he's saying that when you long for something, when you desire something deeply, when you want, when you hunger and thirst, you will be blessed. When you want and long for and desire the righteousness of my kingdom, you will experience comfort and blessing. Now, here at the outset, something very important. Underlying Jesus' idea here, underlying what he says is a presupposition. And the presupposition is this. All of us are longers. All of you sitting out there tonight and me standing up here tonight desperately want something. That is essential to our humanity. Humans are intractable desirers. We cannot not want. We cannot not desire. We cannot not seek to fill the hole that exists in each of our hearts. That's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. The Christian story, the Christian testimony has always attested to such a thing. Even in the very first chapter of the Bible in Genesis 1, before the fall, before the brokenness of this world entered, God created man in his image, Adam and Eve, and the text tells us that they walked with him in the garden in the cool of the day. God made us to long, to desire, and to experience fulfillment of that desire through a relationship with him. Of all modern authors, I, th I think that very few people understood this principle of our innate sense of desire and longing, of hungering and thirsting better than C.S. Lewis, one of my heroes. And in one of his least popular books, which is actually probably my favorite book of his, it's a quasi-autobiographical book. It's called Surprised by Joy. He writes about his early experiences with this sort of desire that I've been speaking about and that I think Jesus is speaking about here. And I just want to read you. This is a little bit of an extended quote. It's about a paragraph long, but it's worth it because it's C.S. Lewis. And I want to read you what he says here. He calls this idea of longing or hungering and thirsting joy. And here's what he writes. I call it joy. As I stood beside a flowering currant bush on a summer day, there suddenly arose in me without warning, and as if from a depth not of years but of centuries, the memory of that earlier morning when I was a child at the old house, when my brother had brought his toy garden into the nursery. It's difficult to find words strong enough for the sensation which came over me. Milton's enormous bliss of Eden comes somewhere near it, it was a sensation, of course, of desire. But desire for what? Before I knew what I desired, the desire itself was gone. The whole glimpse withdrawn. The world turned commonplace again, or only stirred by a longing for the longing that had just ceased. In a sense, the central story of my life, he writes, is about nothing else than an unsatisfied desire, which is itself more desirable than any other satisfaction. I call it joy. I doubt whether anyone who has tasted it would ever, if both were in his power, exchange it for all the pleasures of the world. You know, I hope that what C.S. Lewis writes there resonates with you, at least on some level, because I think he's putting very powerfully there what Jesus is attempting to call out of our hearts. The fact that we are all, by definition as humans, 
longers and desirers. But the problem, the problem is that we desire, the problem is not that we desire, the problem is that we seek the fulfillment of our desires in all the wrong things, in all the wrong places, and in all the wrong people. You know, Mick Jagger was right about this one. I can't get no satisfaction. That's something profoundly true. Um, So let's talk secondly about the problem as Jesus speaks to us here from his word. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they shall be satisfied. Our problem is not, and I feel like this warrants a few minutes, our problem is not desiring. (laughs) You know, in in a sense, the whole history of the world is the history of humans seeking to satisfy the God-sized hole that resides in each of their hearts. And because we seek satisfaction and filling of that hole in all sorts of really messed up ways, our relationships are broken, our own lives are broken, and really this world as a whole is messed up. And Christians often throughout the years and even in our own day have known that, they've sensed that, and so they've said the solution to the problem of our misplaced desires must be to stop desiring, to stop longing and wanting things. I was reading this week, and this is a great example. I was reading this week about this seminary in the early 90s, just when um, the internet was picking up steam and people began to use the internet on a regular common basis. And there's this guy who was a seminary president who found out that a number of his young seminary men were beginning to use the internet for research, etc. But they were also discovering some of the more um, vicious things on the internet, some of the more illicit images and videos that, as most of us know, are easily found just by scrolling online for a few minutes. And the seminary president rightfully was dismayed at this idea that his students were dabbling in this sort of thing, and so he called the seminary together and and decided to preach a sermon. And basically, the main point of the sermon, as I understood it, is that this man said in various ways, but basically the same thing again and again and again, this, stop it! Stop! Stop wanting these things. Stop looking at that. Stop desiring. Stop longing. Cut it out. Now, needless to say, it didn't work. Shockingly, a bunch of 22, 23-year-old men being told to stop didn't exactly fix things automatically for them. And that speaks to the point that oftentimes people make, that the problem is with our desiring. The problem is with our longing, and we should cut that off at the very beginning. Another example is from my own life. When I was a young kid growing up in the church, I would go to my middle school youth group, and I would always be told again and again and again, I hope I don't offend any of you here. If you do, you can come talk to me afterwards. But I was always told, you need to stop listening to all your secular non-Christian music. And about once a year, we would have like a big bonfire, like a literal bonfire, and burn CDs. And I would be like, man, man, I love you two. Like, I don't want to burn you two. I don't want to, DC Talk sucks. I don't want to listen to DC Talk, sorry. I want to listen to you too. Like, and eventually they said, just stop listening to music, period. And, and that's when I was like, whoa! I mean, I'm, a, I'm 14 years old, but that doesn't sound right to me. I mean, God himself is a singer. After all, that doesn't seem good. You know, it's the same idea. They thought the problem was with our desires themselves. That is not the problem. 
That's far too simple of a solution. Listen, the problem with us is not something out there. The problem is something in us. It's far too simplistic to assume that if we just cut off the objects of our malformed and mischievous desires, then our desiring is going to stop. It's far too simplistic to think that we should just stop being essentially human. The problem is is not that we desire things. The problem is that we desire the wrong things wrongly. We desire the wrong things wrongly. What is it that you desire? Right now, what are you longing for? What is it that you want to fill the God-sized hole that's in your heart? What person or place or hobby or thing are you looking to, maybe even subconsciously, to give you ultimate and lasting fulfillment? You know, maybe for you it is the desire, the longing for success for recognition and for power. You know that that's something you're longing for deeply if you find yourself thinking, I want to be envied and emulated in my particular field that God has called me to. I want people to look up to me. You know that you're struggling and making success the deepest desire of your heart when you, when you can't take any criticism at all. You know you're struggling with making success and power and recognition the deepest desire of your heart when, when you're ridiculously over-competitive about everything and you have to be center stage. Or when you know you're not the best, you immediately sort of fall away into the dark shadows and corners of the room. Maybe it's success that you're longing for. Maybe what you're longing for tonight is, is just physical pleasure. And frankly, I know we have some young ears in the room, but I'm, I'm going to say it, that the reason, uh, the way that, that generally manifests itself in our culture is sexual pleasure. Uh, maybe more than any other culture in the history of the world, other than the culture in which the New Testament was written, ironically, um, that is what we oftentimes think is going to bring us ultimate satisfaction. It's going to quench all of the desires, the hunger and the thirst that we have. And you know that that's not going to satisfy you, right? It's not going to satisfy you because it confuses, it confuses the product of love and commitment with the cause of love and commitment. You see, uh, the, the result of love and commitment is a wonderful sexual experience. It's not the cause of love and commitment and satisfaction. It's the product of it. It's the result of it. It doesn't satisfy because it reduces our humanity, humanity to, to the merely physical it, it thinks of us as, as if we can experience only physical pleasure that's going to fill the longing that we on a very spiritual and emotional level feel. And that's just simply not the case. And you know, you know if you're here tonight that that's the thing that you're longing for sometimes more than anything else when you find yourself scrolling on the internet, looking at things you know you shouldn't be looking at but your heart is pulling you toward them quickly. When you, even in your own marriage, find yourself with a significant sense of dissatisfaction with the spouse that God has provided for you. You know that that is something that you're longing for when you have a radically unrealistic view of what the human body is meant to look like. Maybe, maybe you're longing, and this is a big one, maybe you're looking to have your hunger and your thirst filled by, by relationships. Now, if you're here tonight and you're single, 
possibly you think from time to time or a lot of the time that if I can just find the perfect match, that special someone, things are going to be fine with me. Things are going to be content. Maybe, heck, maybe if you're married, you're thinking that. And you know it's not your wife, or at least you don't think it's your wife. Maybe if, I, if, if my wife would just be more like I am. <laughs> Repent, brother. If my life would be more like I am, then we, can, then we can finally be okay. Then I would move forward. Then I would be content. If, if she would just, you know, realize that she's really just a projection of my own image, then things would go well for us. If you could just find your soulmate, someone who really, on a deep level, understands you, you can be satisfied. Listen, there is no perfect match for you. The perfect match does not exist. Because every other person on the planet is just as broken and messed up as you are. Why would you think that there's someone out there, a human, who's going to meet your every need? That is placing a burden on a human to do something that is impossible for a human to do. No human can be God for you. No human can satisfy your deepest longings. You've watched too many romantic comedies. Stop thinking that finding a soulmate, even if you're married, is going to fix all of your problems. Sorry, I'm getting mad. I talked about guy porn. This is girl porn. This is girl porn. This is the idea that if I just have this sweet relationship that makes me feel fluttery on the inside, and some guys do this too, then I'll be satisfied. There is no such relationship, at least not for long. If you're looking for that for satisfaction, you're going to find yourself inevitably disappointed. The problem that we have is not that we want things. It's that we look for satisfaction in all of the wrong places and in all of the wrong people. And all of those are good things. Relationships are great. Wanting a spouse is great. Having a spouse is great. Sex is great. Food is great. But if you're addicted to lust, do you really think that the world is going to be a better place if it was rid of all beautiful women? If you're addicted to greed, do you really think that the world is going to be a better place if it were rid of all material prosperity? If you're a glutton, and addicted to food and drink. Do you really think the world is going to be a better, a better place if there were no such thing as beautiful, lovely, fine-tasting food and drink? No. No, the problem isn't out there. The problem is that you think what's out there is going to satisfy you. Sort of like um, an experience I had not long ago when the kids in my house were a little bit smaller. When Ben was a little... No, this is when Ainsley was a little baby. You know, she would eat these... I think they're called puffs, you know? It's like a little jar, about yay big, plastic jar that's... Basically, they're just air. They're air that somehow have like a film of wheat or something over them. Um, imagine that I... This actually didn't happen. I want you to imagine. I come home and I'm, I'm starving. You know, I'm famished, hungry and thirsty. I haven't eaten all day, long day of work, and I raid the pantry, right? I am starving. And I find some puffs throw that lid off and just down in the puffs. How do you think that's going to help? It's not going to make me satisfied. It's not going to fill me up. And listen, the problem is not the problem is not my hunger. The problem is that I'm thinking puffs are going to meet all of the needs that I have. And puffs ain't going to do it. Puffs didn't even do it for my nine-month-old. They're not going to do it for me. So our problem, our problem is that it's not that we desire things, it's that we seek fulfillment for our desire, for our hunger and our thirst in all the wrong places and in all the wrong people. So what is the solution? Third, our satisfaction. 
Jesus says that you are blessed, you are happy, you are a part of the kingdom, you are following him, not when you stop hungering and thirsting. No, he says when you hunger and thirst for righteousness. So two questions, then we're done, okay? First question, what is righteousness? Seems to be an important question, since that's what Jesus is saying we should hunger for. So what is righteousness? Well, Jesus uses this exact word four other times just in the Sermon on the Mount. And basically, you can summarize it by saying that when Jesus is using the word here, righteousness, he means, he means really the culmination of what he's talking about in the Beatitudes. To, to live a righteous life is, is to be poor in spirit. It's to be a mourner. It's to be meek. It's to love mercy and be a peacemaker and to be pure in heart. Really, righteousness ultimately is a characteristic of God himself. And so to pursue and seek righteousness is really fundamentally to pursue and seek God. You see, when you understand that you were made to be satisfied by God and by God alone, then you will be blessed. Your life is derivative of God's life. His life, by the way, is not derivative of yours. Your life is derivative of his, and when you experience the wholeness, the satisfaction that he and his righteousness bring, then you can be filled, then you can be satisfied, then you can be blessed. So to long and thirst and hunger for righteousness is to long and to thirst and to hunger for God, for God himself and all of his infinite glory to fill you. So how, second question, last thing, how does God do that? How does God fulfill and satisfy our deep hunger and thirst? Listen, here's how. He does it by giving us himself. And he does it by giving us himself fully. Profound passage in another gospel, John 4. Jesus is thirsty, not coincidentally to our text, by the way. And he goes to the well in Samaria. And there he meets a woman. And he says to the woman, I'm thirsty, get me something to drink. And the woman's getting him something to drink. And Jesus says, you know, I know of a water that will make you never thirst again. You know, the woman gives him a cross-eyed look. What? What are you talking about? Yeah, I know of a water that when it springs up, it's living water, and never again will you want. Two chapters later, John 6, Jesus has just fed the 5,000. <laughs> and his disciples come to him, and he says, Beware of the leaven, the bread of the Pharisees. But I am the bread of life, and whoever eats of me will never again hunger. You see, Jesus satisfies all of our hunger and thirst by giving us himself. At the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus is telling you boldly and clearly that you can experience satisfaction and fulfillment and you can experience it freely through knowing him by faith. Jesus, as God, is willing to bring you back to the place you were created for, to bring you back to a place where you are, as it were, walking with God in the coolness of the day in the garden, experiencing utter quenching of your thirst, experiencing utter fulfillment of your hunger. In Jesus, by faith, you can once and for all be satisfied. And that, friends, is completely free of charge. Let me close by reading uh, this wonderful text from Isaiah 55. The prophet here is looking forward to the day when Jesus would come 700 years later. 
And what he writes here, I think, beautifully encapsulates the main point of our parable, or excuse me, of our beatitude. Just listen to this, and then we're done. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Let's pray.